Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Vocal Distancing, where we catch up with collegiate play-by-play announcers from around the country. My name's Adam Witten. As a reminder, if you want to listen to previous episodes that we've done, you can subscribe to our podcast. Just search College Sports Now wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have these available on our College Sports Now YouTube channels. We are delighted to be visiting with another tremendous trio of voices around the country from the SEC at Mississippi State. Hello, Neil Price. Thanks for being on with us. Hey, Adam. From the ACC in the ATL, Andy Demetra at Georgia Tech. What's up, man? Good to see you, Adam. How are you, my man? Good to be with you. And entering his 48th season this fall at Indiana, the legendary voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Adam. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for being here. Let's start with this. Don, I'll go to you first. Uh, how are you guys? Well, I'm having a bad hair day, as you can see. So I, I wore a hat today. I don't want anybody to see the rest of my, the head. But, um, you know, we're, we're hanging in there. Um, this, this would be my slow time of year anyway, because basically I hung everything up a couple of years ago, except for football, basketball, play-by-play for IU and, and uh, talk shows with the coaches. So I'm kind of a semi-retired guy. Uh, that at this point in time likes to play a lot of golf. And, and so we're getting a few rounds of golf in, even though social distancing is a preference there as well. So we're doing all the things that we have to, and, and we're, we are surviving. But, you know, the guys that work full time and stuff like that, they're, they're having the rough go, not me. Andy, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, I tell you what, I, I definitely feel inferior with my backdrop compared to Neil and Don. So I think yeah, I have another yeah. thing on my to-do list here. Uh, while we're all sheltering in place, is to, what is to make that a behind respectable you? office backdrop. What is that behind you? Uh, that is a picture of the Superstition Mountains in Arizona, which is where I was supposed to go uh, this spring to visit my parents before everything got wiped out. So that's about as close as I will, uh, I will get to them this spring. But, you know, other than that, like everybody else, just uh, trying to be as useful as possible to, uh, to my athletic department, helping out with their content and uh, doing different creative things to keep that content mill churning and, uh, doing whatever I can to keep my creative metabolism up uh, so that when we get back to, to doing what we love, calling football and basketball, we'll be, uh, we'll be ready for it. So uh, just trying to make the time count and not trying to count the time, I guess. Neil, what about you? How are you holding up? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Um, I think I've probably taken a little bit different approach than some in that I've tried to use the opportunity to, to recharge and just try to be better um, spiritually, emotionally, uh, physically, whatever we can do. Uh, I have sworn off shaving. Uh, I'm not to David Letterman status yet where I've got it down to my chest, but I figure, you know, you're not going to be out in front of people too much. And uh, I think I've shaved one day since uh, the start of what would have been the start of uh, the second round of the SEC tournament. So Figure why not keep that streak going for a while? So who knows? By the time we get to September, uh, it, it could be pretty impressive. But, you know, it, it's been nice just to breathe a little bit. And, and I hate that this is what it's taken to get to that point. But, uh, you know, I, I read a little bit more now than I used to, although most of the reading is still about broadcasting and, and the business, uh, you know. And I've used a lot of time to catch up with, with people 
talk to people back home that I normally wouldn't have much time to talk to because we're traveling or in the midst of games or, or whatever it may be. And, and that's been good. Uh, and just checking in with other guys who do what we do uh, because it's, it's a little shocking, I think, for all of us that, you know, you're, you're going along and you're at the beginning of the postseason, which is a really exciting time for all of us. And suddenly it's over. So uh, I think there's been a little bit of, of coping that's had to happen there and just tried to help some other guys get through it. And by talking to them, they, they've helped me too. Have you had interactions with Mike Leach yet? Uh, once on the phone, and it was about what you would expect. Uh, I did talk to Matt Chaz now, who's a, a, another guy who we all know and think highly of out at Washington State. And when Coach Leach got hired at Mississippi State, I called Matt and I said, what am I, what am I getting into? <laughs> and uh, and he had a, a glowing recommendation of Mike Leach. And, and my first experience with him was was a plus. So I think it's going to be great. Just hopeful that we can we can get him back and, and, and get his team back on the field and start working toward a season real soon. I would love to know. I don't know if we want to get into it today, but I would love to know what you talked about, because I'm sure it wasn't football. No, but surprisingly, it was a lot of football okay. uh, with very little opinion about anything else other than just, you know, maybe what what he had tried to do to stay engaged in the football piece of it when really there's not a lot you can do and none of your players are around. And the NCAA had, had just instituted uh, the deal where they could start having some, some interaction with players through video conferencing and all that. He talked about doing some of those things, but Nothing off the page or, or anything that's going to wind up on social media anywhere going viral anytime soon, I don't think. Okay. All right. For, for the three of you guys, Andy, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, other than, than haircuts, um, obviously, what do you miss the most right now that you can't do in this, in this world of social distancing? Oh, man, that, that's a good question. I will say this. Um, physically, I'm still able to get in my running because that's the most social distancing compatible form of exercise, I think. So I've been fortunate. I haven't had any withdrawals about not going to the gym or anything like that. Obviously, the thing that I miss the most is um, just the, the you know, like I mentioned earlier, being able to see my parents. Normally, once the season ends, uh, when my daughter has her spring break, I'll pick her up and we'll fly across to Arizona. And, you know, when you're across the country from your parents, there are a limited number of times per year that you get to see them. So I uh, haven't missed that opportunity. It was uh, was certainly a bummer. Um, and, and from a professional standpoint, I think what I miss the most is just the people. Um, this is such a relationship business. And when you work with an athletic department, there's such a, a sense of community and shared purpose. Uh, and, and you miss being around those people on a day in, day out basis. Uh, I miss the, the creative stimulation that play by play gives me and the challenge of trying to make your next call a little better than your last. And you know, you're trying to do whatever you can in the meantime to, to, replicate that but it, it doesn't compare to the real thing so there are a lot of things that I miss um, as much as we try to keep things as normal as possible uh, in what are abnormal times there are just some things that you can't replicate and, uh, there have been times where I've been certainly feeling that. Don what about you? I think more than anything right now I just miss a lot of our family. Um, I've got four sons three of them live here in the Indianapolis area where I live in Greenwood um, I've got 12 grandkids, eight of them, which also live in this area here. So, and I haven't had, I haven't had a chance to see any of them for a month now. It's ridiculous that you can't really go see your family, uh, any more than you can. I mean, the only person you can really see is your wife, which is great. Uh, 
and my wife works, I work, so, you know, both of us, uh, we don't see each other as much as we normally would or normally do now. It's a, it's a totally different situation, but not seeing your grandkids and being able to interact with them uh, on, a, on a basis that you normally do um, is kind of, that's frustrating a little bit. Uh, other than that, um, I think I miss uh, being able to travel down to Bloomington and check in with all the guys down there, with the, the guys that I deal with on a regular basis. Um, Joe Smith, who's my color comp, or one of my pregame, halftime, postgame guys that I work with a lot. Uh, Eric and Buck Sewer play golf with them on occasion and things like that. We just, you know, we're not seeing anybody that we normally see. So being around the people that you're normally around, uh, I think is what I miss most uh, un under this certain situation that we're in. The, the fact that I can still play some golf in Indiana, some places, most of the golf courses here in Johnson County are open. Uh, social distancing practices, of course, being observed. But at the same time, we're still able to get out and get around the golf course when the weather's decent. And I think I've played 10 rounds so far, which is probably better than most. So I'm pretty happy about that. Neil, how about you? What do you miss? Don, if you play golf the way I do, social distancing is not a problem. <laughs> the short grass is merely a suggestion, okay? You know, but, but explore the course. Explore it. You paid the green fee. See what they've got to offer. He plays, um, he plays social distancing with the fairway. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, what what I would say is is people. I, I miss that maybe more than anything. Uh, family specifically. Uh, I'm probably about seven hours from my folks in East Tennessee. My wife's about nine hours from her folks in Eastern Kentucky. And normally we would be at a stage uh, at this time where, where we could go and, and spend some time with them. Uh, we were supposed to go to the mountains and, and just kind of take a breath and all that kind of got shut down in the midst of all of this too. Um, and, you know, FaceTime and, and stuff like this is great, but there's no substitute for the real thing. There's just not. And, you know, that part has, has weighed on me, I think, mentally and emotionally a little bit. Um, the other thing, and, and I didn't know how I would feel about this because a big reason I was a fan was because of the guy doing the games, but I've missed the Reds. I've missed the Reds a lot. Um, that was kind of my thing. You know, I, I don't do baseball here. And I would usually, in, in the middle of, of both seasons, I would have one game on television and I might have the Reds on radio and listen to Marty and Jeff. And that was kind of a, a way for me to kick back and relax. And, you know, we don't have either right now. So, so I've, I've missed that more, I think, than I thought I originally would. You're going to miss Marty a lot because he's not doing it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going to miss Marty an awful lot. And uh, I talked to him early last year, probably about a year ago, a little, little more, uh, when he made the decision. And he was very kind to me at my last stop and, and really kind of helped me along the way when I was doing baseball and, and, and really learning how to do baseball. And, uh, yeah, it, it'll be different without him. Tommy will do a great job, and, and I think the world of Jeff Brantley, but I'll, I'll miss Marty a lot. I got to work with Marty. Joe, Marty and Joe, they used to uh, – the Reds used to come to Indianapolis and play an exhibition game every year yeah. against the Indians when they were the farm team for them. And Marty and Joe let me come up and do play-by-play -play with them for an inning or two. Way back, this is, gosh, this is back in the uh, uh, early 80s. And it was just awesome. And, they, and Marty, I've known Marty since he came to Cincinnati, too. 
like you and and I played some golf with him. Just a great person uh, and probably one of the best baseball men ever. Uh, he's just a great, great broadcaster. Everybody's got their own opinion, and I promise Adam, we're not going to get too far down the rabbit hole here. But to me, Vin Scully is number one, and Marty is one A, and they're very different in their approaches to right. how they about their jobs. But the thing I love about Marty Brenneman is the guy who was on your radio every night, when you pick up the phone and talk to him, it's that exact same dude sitting on the other end of the line. And that's really refreshing in a lot of ways. And I just don't think there's anybody else like him today. I just don't. And, and they'll be, they'll, he'll be missed. He'll definitely be missed. Oh, yeah. Either of you guys do this. Last weekend I was driving around and, like, instinctively I'm starting to flip towards – like the Sirius XM MLB channels because it's the weekend, it's a gorgeous day. I'm thinking, oh, I can listen to some baseball on the radio. And, like, my fingertip is this close to the screen before I realize, oh, man, there's no baseball. This is brutal. Like, this is just the time where you want to just get on a drive and, and, and listen to baseball and just lose yourself in a game. And you got nothing. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, and you live in a baseball city. And I can't imagine, you know, the void there right now because Braves were, were good last year. They had something to build around. People, I'm sure, were excited about it. And it's just not happening right now. I, I'd say there you're noticing a lot more than you would in a place like Starkville that's kind of isolated or maybe Indianapolis where they were looking forward to triple-A ball or, or following the Reds. Yeah. So we, we've got an interesting <clears> – <throat> dynamic between the, between the three of you we have I mentioned that Don is entering year 48 at Indiana and Andy and Neil the two of you are still relatively early in your careers with your schools uh Andy this is this is year what for you is it five is it more than that yeah just finished year four uh about to head into year five yeah and Neil you just wrapped up near year two three right three okay three. come on get your facts straight Witten. <laughs> no, I just asked the questions and then you guys give me the facts. That's how I prefer to do it. I don't like research. Um, but I, I'd love to how hear many, a little While we're bit. at it, while we're at it, how many years were you at App? Oh, wow. I just wrapped up year four. So yeah, number five will be coming ideally this fall. Um, but I'd love, to, I'd love to hear the different perspectives of, and, and Dom, maybe I'll start with you about thinking about the early years as you tried to establish um, a presence and, and a place in that family and that community and that audience and those teams and, and the people you worked with and some of the things that maybe Andy and Neil are still doing right now in, in becoming a, the part of the fabric of, of the experience of those sports and those schools. What do you remember about the early years of doing IU um, that, that maybe these guys find themselves in right now? Well, I can, I can sum up uh, my most embarrassing moment on my very first broadcast of doing oh, let's do that, yes. Um, I, and and, and <laughs> I wasn't trying to develop a culture. I was just trying to stay alive and be on the air more than one game. Um, literally, I grew up in Illinois, a little background here. I grew up in the state of Illinois, and the University of Illinois was my favorite college team growing up, obviously. And uh, through all those years and ca calling it the University of Illinois, well, of course, Indiana is Indiana University. In the very first game that I did for IU, they played Illinois. 
And it, it, that was when the Big Ten, the first game of the season was always a, a Big Ten game, and then you'd play three non-conference games, and then the rest of the season was a conference contest. Well, the first game we play, we play Illinois. Lee Corso's first year at Indiana, by the way. Um, and he was there for, at Indiana for 10 years. He had one winning season. I'll make that two, sorry. He had two winning seasons in that 10 years. That's a lot more than the co Didn't Mississippi State just fire guy after two years, I think? In two that, years with a winning record, and he beat his <laughs> rival in both of those years. <laughs> <laughs> so things have changed pretty dramatically since 1973. But that said, um, so I'm on the air. My color commentator is Max Skirvin. And Max was the previous play-by-play -play guy at Indiana. And he was not happy that I was the new play-by-play -play guy. And he was reverted to the color commentator because he'd done it for six years previously. And Max was, he worked for the university, those kinds of things. At any rate, we, were, we weren't on bad terms going into the first game, but we weren't on great terms either. And you would think that he might have helped me out a little bit because uh, I go on the air and literally in the opening, I call it the University of Indiana. Well, that is a sin in the state of Indiana. It's Indiana University. And I not only did it there, but I called it Indiana or University of Indiana two or three more times during the first half of the broadcast. And finally, they got a hold of us. Uh, in those days, you were doing your, your games on, on uh, voice couplers. So you were using your phone lines. And they couldn't get through to me during the first half. But at halftime, somebody got to our sports information director, and he came down and he said, uh, just so you know, your radio station is called. And they have said that the phone lines there have lit up like a Christmas tree. And you're supposed to call it Indiana University, not the University of Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, good Lord, I'm going to be fired after the first game. And I went back uh, the next Monday. I saw the general manager for the first time after that. And he informed me that that shall not happen again. And I said, I understand completely. And so it's never happened since. <laughs> but I can tell you, it was pretty embarrassing, to say the least. And your color analyst was certainly not going to help you out in that situation and no. correct you after the first time. No, he did not. He never said a word about it. Yeah. Never said anything to him either. <laughs> you know, fair is fair. I got the gig. He doesn't. I understand. <laughs> So, so let's flip it now to the other side. Uh, Neil, I, 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 don't, I don't think you have a story like that from your first broadcast at Mississippi State, but um, the, the emotions in the, that, that you had in jumping into a role like, like you did um, a few years ago and getting your start early on with, with, a, with a new fan base. I think I had some knowledge that helped because I spent 12 years at Kentucky prior to being here and Kentucky and state played football every year, still do play every year as part of the way that the SEC schedule lines up. So I had been here. Uh, I knew people on campus. Uh, John Cohen was the baseball coach when I started doing games at Kentucky back in 2005. So I had a relationship there. He's the AD at state now. And I knew Jim Ellis who did baseball or still doing baseball here 42 years into baseball and uh, after Jack Crystal retired did uh, all three sports here for six years I knew Jim from when we were traveling the baseball circuit together and uh, you know I, I knew some of the guys on the baseball staff Gary Henderson among them at that time 
and it just seemed comfortable. So that helped in making the transition. The thing that I wasn't prepared for was from, from the, the X's and O's of broadcasting, how you had to adapt and, and really had to pace yourself in a football game as opposed to doing women's basketball and baseball in much smaller venues with smaller crowds. And I'll give you an example. The first football game I did, Mississippi State played Charleston Southern in a game that they won in a walk. But I remember early in the game, Nick Fitzgerald dove over the top of the line of scrimmage for a touchdown. And the crowd just goes nuts. And I'm trying to be louder than the crowd. And I just can't do it. I've reached a point physically where I can't get any higher than I already am. And it was a really valuable lesson because your body just says, nope, isn't happening. Just not <laughs> happening. And, you know, that, that, was, that was something that I kind of filed away from the first game. But people here have been incredibly receptive. Uh, I'm really, really surprised at how nice everyone has been, how easily accepted I've been. And I'm sure there are those out there who, who would love to have had somebody else. And that's kind of the nature of what we do. But overwhelmingly positive. Uh, that's what I described the first three years as here from, from my perspective. Andy, you, you've been at Georgia Tech now for going on. You'll be starting your fifth year, as we mentioned. But you, you've been in the region for, for a while now. You and I have worked together in the state of North Carolina. You've been at South Carolina, and now you're at, at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. So um, even though I know you came from kind of different parts of the country before that, uh, you've spent enough time in the Southeast region, but the city of Atlanta and Georgia Tech is certainly unique, as is every place. So um, the early years of trying to get that right fit at a place like Tech. You know, I think my, my transition to Tech, looking back on it, was really smooth. Um, my first game for football was in Dublin, Ireland. We opened the season in 2016 against Boston College. And so I think one of the questions they asked me in my interview was, how valid is your passport? Um, so that was very memorable. And they won in, in the final minute on a, a last-ditch touchdown. And, and this was back still when Georgia Tech had Paul Johnson. So um, from the time that I was offered to the time I accepted and the time that we kicked off to that first game, I knew it was incumbent on me to really get to know the terminology of the option offense, because I think nothing will tune out uh, an audience more than somebody who doesn't understand, doesn't speak the language. And so I remember um, those three weeks is constantly picking the brain of my analyst, Sean Bedford, who was a center uh, in that option, um, understanding the difference between a toss and a pitch, how, two plays could look so nearly identical, but, but they're different. They're, they're different ways of describing things so that when I came on the air for their first broadcast, I'd have a measure of credibility and fans would understand, okay, he's done his homework. He has an understanding of how this offense operates. Because remember by that point, uh, they've been watching the option at Georgia Tech for six going on seven years. And the last thing I wanted to come off as was an imposter or somebody who wasn't up to speed on it. So that was a really big um, uh, priority for me before I took the job. I always had, had faith in my play-by-play -play abilities, even though I didn't call football uh, at South Carolina in my seven years there. And I think there was some skepticism as well from Georgia Tech fans because they read my resume and saw that I was coming from South Carolina, 
but I was only doing basketball and baseball. What about this guy's football ability? Um, what they didn't know was that my last three to four years at South Carolina after our, our regional tape delay a television package went away, which I did the play-by-play -play for it, uh, for home games, I would make a very rudimentary chart. I would go up to our photo deck at Top williams Bryce Stadium with a headset and a digital recorder, and I'd do the same thing that I did back when I was in college, which was cutting the practice tape uh, until I needed to, to go down and get ready for our post-game show. Um, because when I, I would have an opportunity again to call football on the radio, I wanted to be prepared for it. Um, that aspect never phased me. It was never something I was nervous about. It was more, can I not get deked out by the option? Can I, I speak credibly and, and describe it in a credible way? Um, and so once, uh, you know, once that first, you know, kickoff uh, went airborne in Dublin, I wanted to make sure I was prepared. So just being able to step in that very first time, uh, you just lean on – your experience, you lean on your preparation, and it's really the same thing with any broadcast, whether it's your first or whether it's my next. So let me let me go kind of in a, in a similar path to what you just mentioned, which is when you would go up and you would make tapes at Williams Bryce Stadium in Columbia. But let, let's take it back a little further. I want to I want to ask you guys. This has been fun to hear the stories. Um, from, from different broadcasters that we've talked to on this show. The first experience that you ever had on the air, first time you ever talked into a microphone when people were listening or you thought people were listening. Um, Neil, Neil, let's start with you on that one. Um, I started the way that I thought everyone started out in this business, and that was working Sunday mornings at a little low power AM, uh, WCRK in Morristown, Tennessee. And they trained you because pretty much the Sunday morning shift would run itself. And everybody came in at a set time. Uh, you know, you had some live services that were actually in the, the big studio. You had uh, a lot of stuff that was already on tape one service you dialed up on a telephone. So you, you got some technical experience on how to do a few different things. But for the most part, it was on cruise control because everybody knew the schedule. And I think the most embarrassing thing I did early on was I thought that I knew more about the technical end of things than I really did. And there was a gentleman who came in and, and did a 15 minute show most of the time he came in and recorded it early in the morning and just handed the tape into you and you played it back at 10, 15, but the tape machine didn't work this particular morning. Oh, this is no problem. You know, I, I can help you through this. Why don't you just do it live and tell me what song you want me to play and I'll track the song for you and I'll just point in the mirror when you're supposed to start talking. It'll be easy. Well, I read the introduction at 10, 15. I've convinced this guy that I'm going to take care of him. It's the right thing to do. I read the intro and then I just stop because on all the other shows, you read the intro and someone starts talking in the other room. And the first words you hear from him are, where's the song? <laughs> yeah. So I learned quickly that at 15, I couldn't, I couldn't produce a 15 minute radio program that featured a, a live speaker and one song. Uh, but we grew from that. Uh, I remember one of the first high school games when I started doing games on the radio for my high school uh, with the news and sports director. 
uh, Morristown East is playing Cherokee High School. And those two were really good when I was in school in a regional tournament in Johnson City, Tennessee. And our team has the lead in the fourth quarter, but it's tight. And seemingly after every basket, I'm doing color, uh, East would make a basket and I would just yell, that's big, Rick. That's big. That's big. I had no other anal- no other analysis to offer other than that's big, Rick. That's big. You know, and I got back to school the following Monday and we're all excited because, you know, our teams won the game. They're going to the regional final and I passed 15 people in the hallway and everybody just looks at me and says, that's big. That's big. You know, so I, I learned that. Hey, you had your first catchphrase though, Neil. That was your first catchphrase. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's pretty good. Yeah. How about that? But, uh, I hope you still use that in your Mississippi State games, no? Well, I think, uh, I think, I think you're actually required now to use it. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, though, what you think you know at a young age and you learn quickly that you know absolutely nothing. You know absolutely nothing. Yeah. And, and I would tell you from a broadcasting standpoint, until probably the last six, maybe eight years, I don't think that I really knew what I was doing up until that point. And then it just felt like it started to click. And now I look at putting a game together and broadcasting a game a whole lot differently than I did even when I started doing games at Kentucky in 2005. I mean, it's, it's night and day difference. Yeah. Don, how did you get your start? Well, in sports, and I'll, I'll just go there because uh, the first uh, year and a half that I was in the business, I was a disc jockey in Butte, Montana, of all places. Um, and that's a really long story to go into that, so I won't do that. I will tell you that I got my first job in sports as a small-town radio announcer in Ottawa, Illinois. W-O-L-I was the call letters, Woolly. <laughs> and... Um, I lied to get the job because in my work at Butte, Montana, I never did any play-by-play whatsoever. And the only play-by-play I'd ever done was on a high school broadcast. I was a high school game of uh, a team that I followed back in in Illinois. And I went there with a tape recorder, sat at the top of the stands and did the play-by-play and thing. And I thought, I did a pretty good job there. Uh, unbeknownst to me, I, I was uh, a, the scourge of broadcasters at that point because I was awful. And I found that out very quickly uh, in my first sports job because, like I told you, I had, I had told the general manager when I interviewed for the position in a small-town radio station that I did play-by-play in Butte, Montana. I said I did the backup broadcast there. And he says, do you have a tape? <laughs> I said, no, I didn't save any of the tapes, which is... <laughs> you know so but at any rate he never checked to see if I had done it he hired me and two months later I did my first broadcast it was Ottawa High School against Morris High School and the program director is a guy named Jim Frandon and he said he would do color commentary for me on the broadcast so we go to the high school we do it there's it's an upper level tier of the school where we go into a classroom and the windows open and the high school football field is below there. The stands are down below it and everything, but you have an upper area where you're actually doing a game like you're doing it from a press box. Thank God we were the only two guys in that school room 
to do the broadcast because as we, well, first of all, we had a 15-minute pregame show. And 15 minutes before we went on the air, I had a, one of those button-down blue Oxford uh, you know, shirts on. And it was a light blue shirt. But by the time we got to the start of the broadcast, it was a dark blue shirt from sweat. Because number one, it was hot there, but it was more me and the nerves I was dealing with than anything else. And so we start the broadcast, and I literally wasn't into the play-by-play two minutes. And out of the corner of my eye, I see the guy that's going to be my color commentator. Out of the corner of my eye, I'm looking at the guy, and he's turned this way, and he's going, like, he cannot believe what he's hearing. And, <laughs> and, and I know, I knew exactly what he was thinking because I was, I, I was so scared and I was so nervous that I literally couldn't hardly talk. And it was the worst broadcast in the history. I still have the tape of it. Nobody is ever going to hear it, though. Um, and literally, it was horrific. So after the broadcast is over with, I wait. We've signed off the air at 10 o'clock in the evening. Our station was an FM. We signed off at 10 o'clock that night. I waited for an hour after we signed off to go back to take the equipment back to the radio station because I didn't want to see anybody and I didn't want to talk to anybody about what I had just done. As I drive into the parking lot, the small radio station, and there's only one entrance to it, and the light in the background is on in the station, and I can see the silhouette of the general manager standing there waiting for me to come in with the equipment. So I get out of the car, I walk in the door, and I don't say hello or anything like that. He doesn't say hello to me. He goes, I thought you told me you'd done play-by-play. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, Mr. Porso, I said, if I'd have told you I hadn't done any play-by-play, I don't think you would have hired me. He went, no blank. <laughs> he says, you've got three weeks, big boy. You got three weeks. And if you aren't dramatically better in three weeks, you don't have a job anymore. Uh... Next day, I got out of bed. I called a guy named Art Kimball. Art Kimball was probably the best high school broadcaster I had heard in my growing up years and so on. He was in LaSalle, Peru, which is 15 miles to the west of us. And I called Mr. Kimball up and I said, you don't know me. My name's Don Fisher. I did my first game last night in WOLI in Ottawa. And I said, I walked back into the station after I'd done it. And the general manager told me I had three weeks to get better. And if I don't, I was going to get fired. And I said, I need to talk to somebody that knows what the hell they're doing. And he said, I'm more than happy to talk to you. He says, what are you doing tomorrow? I says, I'm going to church. He says, you need it, don't you? <laughs> I, said, I said, yes, sir, I do. And he says, what are you doing after church? I said, whatever you want me to. And he, I said, uh, he said, come over to my house. He showed, got me, gave me directions to how to get to his place. I went to his house the next day. He sat with me for five hours that afternoon. I took probably... 10 pages of notes. He talked to me how, how to prepare for a broadcast, how to interview. Uh, he talked to me about how to set up stat sheets and, and spotting charts and all those kinds of things. I've used that stuff for 53 years. And that's, that's how I've made my living. And this guy gave me the most valuable information I've ever had in my life. And he saved my job and my life at that point and my career. And obviously, I'll, I'll be grateful to the guy forever. 
And I got inducted into, uh, I don't want to brag here, I just got inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2010, uh, which was one of the highlights of my career in a broadcaster's Hall of Fame here in Indiana. And I did not, I hadn't talked to Mr. Kimball, I think, for probably about three, four months. And we're sitting down there. I'm going to get inducted in this Hall of Fame that night. And Mr. Kimball, or my son, Pat, says, Dad, did you hear about Mr. Kimball? And I said, what are you talking about? I said, he died. Oh. I said, what? He said he died. He died a week ago. I didn't even know it. Literally, I went up in that stage to accept an award. I couldn't even talk. I was blubbering so bad. But, but Art Kimball saved my job, saved my life, saved my career in radio. And obviously, he dies a week before I go into a Hall of Fame, which he would have been very proud to see. Yeah, uh, that's, that's an amazing story. Um, I, I, this is something I wanted to ask you about, Don. And, and since you mentioned the, the Hall of Fame, you know, a few years ago, um, for collegiate broadcasters like, like the three of you and the people that we talked to on this show, uh, there was an award established um, with the NSMA and Learfield IMG College, um, the Woody Durham Award which uh, is, in, is in memory of the, the late Woody Durham, longtime voice of North Carolina, and it honors the top collegiate broadcaster, play-by-play -play voice in the country. This year's award went to Johnny Holiday at Maryland. Don Fisher, you were the first recipient of that award. I'd love to ask you, because uh, I haven't had the chance to do so before, and I'm sure that the, the listeners and viewers of our show would love to hear, for an honor that, that for an award that is given to the top play-by-play -play voice in college sports, which is what the ecosystem in which we all reside. What, what did that one mean to you? Well, <laughs> believe it or not, from my perspective, it's the greatest honor I've ever received. Because I knew Woody. And I knew Woody for many, many years. And I know his son, Wes. Wes and I are very good friends. I've stayed at Wes's home. Wes and I have played golf together a lot. I've enjoyed that, that experience greatly. And I went to the awards program thinking that I was getting sportscaster of the year for the state of Indiana and having no idea that this was coming down, that it was going to happen. And, and nobody said a word to me about it. And so I, I never anticipated anything like it. In fact, I knew that they were going to develop this award, but I hadn't even thought about who would get it or, you know, I wasn't thinking about anything like that at all. And they get up there on the stage and, all of a sudden I realized they're talking about me and Wes was up there and Tom Bowman's up there. These guys are, I was just, I was stunned, but, but the award itself for a guy who spent his whole life doing college sports, how can you get a better award than that? It, there's just nothing that tops it. I, I don't care what hall of fame you go into or any of those kinds of things. Uh, that nothing will ever top that award. And I have the picture of Woody and the awards on my wall. And right next to it, I've got a great big picture of Wes and I with that award, you know, holding that award in front of me. And to, to this day, it's still very emotional for me. It really is. Very well told, well said. Um, Andy, I wanna ask you the question that, that we started with in, in this particular topic, which is uh, the first time you ever spoke into a microphone, getting kind of your start cutting your teeth in, in this world of broadcasting. 
Yeah, first, thanks for asking that buffer question to Don, because uh, I was not looking forward to following up that answer that he had. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you looking out for me, Adam. Um, <laughs> so, so let's see. Uh, you know, my first play-by-play -play job uh, out of college was called South Carolina Women's Basketball. Um, and this was in the pre-Dawn Staley era uh, when I think my first two years there, they were 1-13 and 2-12 and in the SEC long before the days they turned into a power. Uh, before I got the call to come down to Columbia, I just graduated, moved back home with my parents. Um, had these wayward ambitions of trying to be a TV sports anchor. I thought I wanted to be the next sports center anchor. So I sent my TV demo out to every station in a small and mid-sized market that had openings um, and didn't hear a peep. And I must have sent out 75 applications minimum before I stopped counting because it had gotten so demoralizing. And so as I'm trying fruitlessly to, to get my foot in the door in TV sports uh, anchoring, uh, I find some part-time work uh, at WBIG. That'd be the big 1280 AM Aurora, Illinois, as a part-time board operator. Uh, Aurora, Illinois, that might ring a bell. That is also where the movie Wayne's World was set. So I like to say that I got my start professionally in the same media market as Wayne and Garth, which I'm very proud of. Party on, Andy. Party on, Neil. Um, and uh, if we want to go even further back than that, um, I first caught the bug my, my junior year of high school, uh, West Suburban Chicago. And uh, our high school had this very small student radio station. The, the signal probably didn't reach beyond the parking lot. But for me, this was the biggest event of my calendar year. And I was getting set to broadcast my very first football game. It was a rivalry game for the old Oaken Bucket uh, against our then rival high school. And I must have spent like two, three weeks preparing for this, for this broadcast. So we get out into the press box that, uh, that Friday night uh, to show you how just ratchet and rudimentary our, our campus station was. I go out there with basically a handheld microphone. This thing looked like a karaoke mic. Uh, and in hindsight, it was ridiculous to think that this little handheld wireless mic would be able to get a signal back the however many yards to our, our radio station inside the high school. So nonetheless, I, I'm listening through my Walkman to uh, the, the radio station, and they're about to throw it out to me. It's right before kickoff. And uh, they say, all right, let's go out to, uh, to Harvey Dickinson Field. Here's Andy Dementor for the call. All right, thanks, guys. It's, uh, it's Hinsdale Central versus Downers Grove. Great atmosphere here. Hello, Andy. Andy, do we have you? And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> and so I'm trying in vain to talk, and they're not hearing me. And they're like, all right, I guess we're having some technical difficulties with Andy. Uh, we'll try to go back out to him in, in just a moment. A few minutes pass by, they try again. Nothing. So... Uh, I, I hope this was not the universe trying to tell me something about pursuing a career in broadcasting that my very first, uh, I guess, play-by-play -play opportunity never came to be because they, they couldn't get that signal out into the press box. But uh, that was one that I will uh, always remember. It'll always live on and infamy in my, in my career. <laughs> that is great. Um, all right. So now I'd like, like to take this conversation forward um, to now where you guys are at, at great uh, points in your career. But as you think back to some of the highlights, I want to ask each of you, and Neil, I'll start with you on this one, the most memorable game or moment that you have actually called. 
could be at your current school, could be somewhere previously, the most memorable moment that you say, that's, that's the one that I'll always remember as my favorite. You know, there are a handful of them that come to mind is the problem. Um, yeah, I think that first football game is always going to be memorable. The score won't be, but I think the fact that that was what I always wanted to do and it finally happened, uh, that, that game with Charleston Southern sticks out for that. They beat LSU here three games later, and that was the first time they had a full house, and it was the first SEC game I had done, and that one will always be memorable. Um, I did a game in Madison Square Garden in the NIT against Penn State where Penn State drilled Mississippi State, but still I was in the garden, and that was pretty cool. You know, you're thinking I'll never get back here again. Uh, any number of Q Weatherspoon buzzer beaters, and he had a bunch of them in the two years that I did games here. And uh, I think the, the other is beating Louisville in uh, the Tax Slayer Bowl because I was at Kentucky for 12 years, and even though I'm not there anymore, we still like to beat Louisville. So it was, <laughs> it was kind of fun to see that. And, and the fact that State did it basically with half of a coaching staff because Dan Mullen and his guys had gone to Florida, and they had uh, a backup quarterback playing that game who beat a Heisman winner. Uh, that, that, was, that was pretty cool. So that's, that's a long answer. It's not one, I know, but those are the things I think about. John, what about you? Well, I've, I've done so many games and so many great games, it's hard to pick one out. But I always go back, I always go back to 76, um, the team that went 32-0, the last unbeaten team in college basketball. Uh, and the last minute and a half of that ball game was just so emotional for that basketball team. Um, watching those kids, Knight took them out one at a time. He basically called a timeout, uh, two timeouts uh, that were kind of rolling type timeouts at, at that point, just to take guys out of the game so that they could each receive an ovation as they came out of the ball game. And it was just so much fun, the last moments of that contest without question. It was, it was one of the great moments of my career. Obviously, I was involved in a national championship game for the first time um, and have been fortunate to be involved in three of those, but, but that was just special in itself. And you were broadcasting uh, for a team that was such a great ball club in so many different ways. And great young men, uh, just about every one of those guys has gone on to have great careers of whatever they decided to do in their professions and so on. Um, it was just a, it was a great experience. I was 29 years old at the time when they won that national championship. And uh, I don't think anything has ever topped that. Although Christian Watford shot a few years ago uh, to knock off Kentucky <laughs> in the assembly hall was a pretty big moment too, Neil. <laughs> yeah, there haven't been any more chances for those moments here lately either, have there? No, there have not. And it's, and it's disappointing. I'll be honest with you. It's disappointing they don't play anymore. It really is. I agree. I, I, wish, I wish they played every year. They should play every year in both football and basketball. Uh, to, to, in fact, I think um, Jerry DiNardo was the coach at the time that they stopped playing Kentucky in football. And it was his decision, I think, not to play Kentucky anymore. And, of course, it's Calipari's not to play Indiana in basketball anymore. I just think huge mistakes for both those schools not to be playing both sports every year. Yeah. Andy, what about you? 
I think my two most memorable games that I called were the 2017 NIT first round Georgia Tech versus Indiana because that was the first time I got to meet Don Fisher <laughs> after listening to and admiring his work for so many years. So, Don, I'll always remember that. And then the other one was uh, Baseball Series 2010 at Cliff Hagen Stadium in Lexington because that was the first time that I got to meet Neil Price in person. Oh, uh, and my, my broadcast career has been enriched ever since. Checks in the mail. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, right. And you guys won that series, by the way, Neil, so don't be modest. <laughs> and, you know, the, and the cliff is gone now, and I'm kind of sad about that because for years when I was there, they told me the cliff was going to be gone, and it always kept making its way back for another year. And yeah. I grew up where I really loved it, and now the cliff's gone. It's, it's kind of sad. Yeah, we're, right after you leave, they move into a brand-new stadium. Uh, and right after I leave South Carolina, they go to the Final Four. Um, but no, in all seriousness, my uh, – my most memorable game was was obviously my first year in South Carolina, uh, calling their national championship in baseball uh, at the 2010 College World Series. They beat UCLA, and what made that run so special was that they had to beat Clemson twice in order to advance to the championship series. Uh, and so to eliminate your bitter blood rival and then win your first major national championship when there had been this chicken curse that had persisted at South Carolina for so many years where South Carolina fans felt like they were destined never to been, win the big one um, to be there in Omaha. And it was the last ever game at Rosenblatt Stadium at the College World Series, which made it even more special. Uh, it's just very humbling to, to call a moment that you knew meant so much to so many people. Um, I, you know, in all honesty, I had no business calling that moment. That Bob Fulton deserved to broadcast that. He was the voice of the Gamecocks for 43 years. Uh, and here I was, 28 years old and fresh off the turnip truck from Illinois, uh, calling that moment. But it's so special to me, uh, knowing how special it was to, to South Carolina fans. Uh, just one of those magical, surreal moments uh, that you embrace and, and, and cherish. Because there are so many broadcasters in this business that I, I've respected and admired who have been at their respected schools for, or organizations for three, four decades who've never had the chance to call a title in their sport. Uh, and so I was just embarrassingly lucky in my first year back in South Carolina uh, to have that chance. And it's something that I, I still remember vividly. And it's, it's a moment I'll always cherish for sure. Very cool. Well, uh, we're unfortunately running out of time. So I do, but I do have one more question for each of you. One of the things that we have discovered in doing this series is um, I don't. I wouldn't say we've discovered it, but it's it's certainly been reinforced um, that every voice of a program ha develops a certain trust with with their fan base, and they look to that person usually when they're listening to a football, basketball, or baseball game to be able to tell the story about what's happening. Um, now they 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 might look at the three of you and others in in a different way in terms of, hey, I, I want to. I, I feel like this person's going to give me some sense of maybe it's, maybe it's calm, maybe it's security, uh, optimism, whatever you want to call it. But uh, we, we've enjoyed kind of closing these episodes out with each person just offering 30 to 60 seconds to their fan base that may be watching or listening right now, just to say, Hey, hang in there. Uh, we can't wait to be back. Uh, but what would you say as a lasting thought, a final thought for, for each of your specific fan bases. Um, and Neil, we'll start with you on that one. Embrace the opportunities that you have in the midst of this crisis. And I know that sounds 
really counterproductive or countercultural in some ways, but we've got time in a lot of respects now time that we may not have or time that we wouldn't have if we were going to work every day and, and getting caught up in the hustle and bustle of the world. So take time to call the people that are close to you and tell them you love them. Uh, take time to call the people that you haven't spoken to in a long time and see how they are. Uh, put the grudges behind you, all those things. Uh, come out of this thing better then you went into it. All of us have been given a chance to do that. I'm trying to do it. I don't know if I'm going to hit the mark or not, but I'm trying to do it. But I think that's the best thing all of us can do. Um, you know, not to get overly philosophical, but Jerry Clower is a guy who, who graduated from Mississippi State, was a great Southern comedian. Jerry did a show at Belmont University a long time ago. One of my favorite things from that album, he said, he told somebody, he said, the Lord said it years ago, love others as you would want to be loved. That's the answer to a lot of things. So take this time to, to let people know you love them, you care about them, you're thankful for them, and we'll all come out of this better than we went into it. Andy? I would just tell Georgia Tech fans, uh, we miss you as much as you miss us. Uh, we'll all get back together as a Georgia Tech family before long, but in the meantime, Take advantage of the time that you do have with your family. Life moves really, really fast sometimes, and it's inevitable that we take certain things for granted. Uh, so make sure that you come out of this not taking things for granted, loving the people that you're with, and uh, come back with a renewed passion for the thing that brings us together and the thing that we all love, which is following Georgia Tech. And we'll be there for you. We can't wait to, uh, for that moment to come. And finally, Don Fisher, the man who taught us to lie on our resumes to get started in this business. Yes, that's what I, that's my takeaway from this. I should have lied better. I, I will say I ditto to what both Andy and Neil have said, um, but at, at the same time, too, I, I think the one thing that this has shown me um, and, and what we've had to deal with here in the last month or month and a half, whatever it's been, is just how much we all miss sports how much we miss that opportunity, not only to do it as, as a play-by-play -play guy, but uh, I miss just being around it, just uh, having a chance to watch it. Um, yeah, you can watch replays on TV of all these other games that they're doing now uh, for football, basketball, and baseball. Uh, it's just not the same. And I, and I love to watch golf on television as well, and I'm watching some of these reruns of, of years gone by and the things that are taking place it's just not the same thing. It's not, it's not the live experience that we all love and deal with. So from a fan base standpoint, uh, realize that you're missing that. And we're all missing it at this point. We're missing doing it uh, as a play-by-play -play guy. And we certainly miss it as a fan. And obviously cherish those moments when they come back, because obviously we now know that they can go away pretty quickly. All right. That's a good punctuation on today's episode. Andy, Neil, Don, thank you all so much. We appreciate you guys hopping on with us for a little bit. Great talking to you guys. Great being with you guys. Same here. All right. And we will talk to you next time for another episode of Vocal Distancing.